This is episode number nine with Episcopal Community Services Chief of Programs, Arlie Steyer. Welcome to the We Love Philly podcast. My name is Carlos Aponte, a Philadelphia school teacher whose mission is to promote volunteerism throughout the city of Philadelphia and help put the brotherly love back into the city of brotherly love. Each week, my students and I bring you a person or organization that is making Philly a better place. Thanks for spending some time with us, and let's dive in. Mahatma Gandhi once said, Poverty is the worst form of violence. And former Secretary General of the United Nations Kofi Annan once said, Extreme poverty anywhere is a threat to human security everywhere. Welcome to this episode with Episcopal Community Services Chief of Programs, Arlie Steyer. Arlie has two master's degrees, one in social services and the other in law and social policy. And through our conversation, she has inspired my students and I to rethink how we can tackle poverty in Philadelphia. In this interview, we talk about how adaption is key when staying relevant as an organization that serves the community, how building a bridge to self-sufficiency with coaching and mentoring is an effective way to stop intergenerational poverty and the current state of poverty in Philadelphia. If you like what you hear, share their website with a friend, ecsphilly.org, where you can sign up to volunteer for them and to donate to their calls. You can also stay up to date with what my students and I are doing throughout the community at We Love Philly on Instagram and at welove.philadelphia on Facebook. Welcome everybody to the We Love Philly podcast. I am with Arlie Steyer, Chief of Programs at Episcopal Community Services. How are you, Arlie? I'm doing well, Carlos. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being on. I am completely enamored still by the building that I just walked into. I had no idea you're at St. Paul's Church. Yes. I, I noticed when I was out there that it's been here since 1761. So I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really about to enter a building that's over 300 years old. I could not believe it. Yes, yeah, so it's definitely like a historic gym. And, you know, if you take a tour of the outside, we actually have quite a few prominent uh, Philadelphians who are laid to rest here, as well as like some sarcophaguses in our building um, oh wow but it's you know it's an old church so we actually have um, you can have like you can see the main doors where people will come into the sanctuary as well as the organ pipes and so the way it's situated interestingly enough is from the main entrance to the back of the building everything is sloped down and our conference room is where like the altar was. So okay. I'll take you in there to see it. Oh, it's, cool. It's, the original stuff is there. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, the inner history teacher in me is like geeking out right yeah. now. Right, yeah. when I, right when I walked out front. So when I was checking out your website, I noticed that the Episcopal Community Services have actually been around since 1870. Yes. So you are the oldest community awesome. service group. So thank you for that. Yeah. I'm sure you haven't been around since 1870. No, I haven't. <laughs> I've, I've been around here for six years. Yeah, but that's 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 amazing. It's almost yeah. 200 years of service. Yep. So how did this, how did Episcopal get started? So we were founded in 1870 by, I believe, Bishop White. And we are located 
at 225 South 3rd Street, which is basically like 3rd Street south of Walnut, about two blocks away from the river. And so during that time, there were a lot of immigrants coming from Europe on ships. And so we were set up here, interestingly enough, along with a lot of other like settlement houses, and, and that's the way social services were delivered at that time, to really uh, provide aid to the people coming uh, to, to America at that time. And so some of the early things that we did were around treating people who were sick with like polio and then other like sicknesses that we didn't have vaccines for back then. Wow. And then what we became, became really strong with and known for was our work with foster care. So it started like with caring for orphans back in the 1800s to formally becoming like a foster care program and a child welfare uh, provider in the city of Philadelphia. So. Basically, we've been around because essentially we adapt to the changing needs of Philadelphia. And so, you know, what we've been known for is serving the most vulnerable. And then like when something comes up, like we respond. So for instance, over history, it's been like child welfare and orphans. And at one point it was people suffering with AIDS. And, you know, at another point it was serving people in prisons. And, and so, you know, at different periods of time, we've looked different because the yes. social issues were different. I love it. I'm a firm believer in adapting, changing, and evolving, yeah. and I can kind of see why you've been around for over 200 years, because yeah. that ability to adapt and yeah. then evolve and then mm-hmm. keep being a service to the city, that's all. That's that's special. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, a spe- I'm a, proud to be a part of it. So when I walked in, I noticed a slogan on the wall, It's and it really hit me right when I walked in. It said, look up challenge poverty with courage capacity and will Mm -hmm. so what is that the mission of it is so our our mission is to reduce intergenerational poverty and so what we really believe is that you know we believe in the inherent dignity and worth of all humans our values are dignity justice community and impact and then our mission is to reduce and challenge intergenerational poverty and so we believe that the path to prosperity Um, is available to all and everybody inherently has in them what they need to be able to create that path for themselves and so look up you know speaks to a lot of different things it speaks to our faith tradition it speaks to you know looking at the possibilities people have for their lives um, and what they're capable of and then the idea of courage capacity and will like you know, that speaks to the community, not just our participants and us, but Philadelphia as a community and our other partners, you know, to really come together and, and, and address the problem and the issue of poverty, which is staggering in the city of Philadelphia. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So when you say you create or you help them create inside of themselves a way to get out of poverty, how do you, how does your organization do that? Yep. So what we do recently as of the last year and a half, two years is, you know, we kind of decided to focus on this mission. It's not, you know, not that we weren't challenging poverty all along, but we really decided, okay, like, here's all the various different things. Here's what we really, we're really good at. How can we do it? And so um, we've adopted a coaching model that, you know, all adults and now young adults receive when they come to us for services. So for example, we have various programs. We have housing programs, we have a homeless shelter, Uh, We have employment programs, we have youth programs, and pretty much every young adult or adult is matched with a coach when they come to ECS. And coaching is simply meant to bring out, I think, those qualities and strengths so that our participants can see them and really leverage them 
to create those roadmaps, you know, to, to, to seize on opportunity, to capitalize on opportunity. And so our strategy is focused on basically like economic mobility outcomes. And we use a framework called the Bridge to Self-Sufficiency. Using this Bridge to Self-Sufficiency, um, which focuses on five key areas of people's lives that are interconnected, which is family stability, their health and well-being, um, their finances, their education, and their employment, um, and really having people look at where they are and use this as a roadmap to figure out like where they want to be. And so with coaching, our participants go through a process of goal setting. Um, so for a lot of them, you know, it's, it's different than a typical, typical experience of coming to a social service agency or any program where it's just like, this is prescribed what you're going to do. Our coaches ask our participants, like, you know, what do you want to do? What goals do you have for yourself? And it's really a combination of like exposure and talking through like the possibilities that helps our participants set goals. And ultimately they work on plans with their coach. And what happens is as they, you know, achieve steps in those plans and then also achieve those goals, they receive incentives uh, for doing so. Why, why the mentoring route? I'm a firm believer in mentoring as well. I, uh, I've been doing it through Students Run Philly style um, for the past five years, and I, I see it work. So do you have data, or why did you pick mentoring? So we picked this because for two reasons. The model that we use is called Mobility Mentoring. It's from an organization in Boston called Empath, okay. and they've been implementing it for about 12 years. So it has a lot of efficacy okay. uh, and research behind cool. it. So that's one of the reasons why we chose it. And then the other reason is because we've done like traditional case management, which is like, you know, you have a list of things, like prescribed things that you have to do, and it's not geared toward you and your particular life circumstances or even like what you're interested in or your desires. And what science is telling us, and then what our experience from participants, you know, from before telling us is that this is just a better way to do things. You know what I mean? Participants have more buy-in in the process when, you know, they can have some self-determination yes. in it. You know, it aligns with our values of dignity a lot more than having a case manager tell someone what to do. And then from Empath, you know, the way that they got to it is that their executive director, Beth Babcock, who essentially, you know, was the creator of it um, is from academia and so a lot of the research came from brain science and so what the research essentially says is that you know chronic stress and trauma you know creates a situation in the brain where I think it's the frontal cortex doesn't function in the best way as possible yeah. so if somebody is constantly in a state of crisis they miss out on um, the opportunity or even the capacity to be able yeah. to think long term about yeah. things and so coaching or mentoring in this way of thinking about where you are thinking about where you want to go and like creating iterative steps to get there essentially builds that muscle of yeah. the brain for people to get from that point of they're only reacting to crisis to being able to have the skill to think about things in a more um, long-term or holistic way. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see that a lot, especially with teenagers. The mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. And right. Like you said, that chronic stress and that trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I see it every day. So are you just working with teenagers or is this everybody in the family? It's So we are, so for instance, we're doing coaching. We're doing this model with pretty much everyone in our program. So the interesting thing about what we do is we have tons of different programs. So for each pillar, like I said, family stability, we have a homeless shelter where we serve up to 150 families there every year because people are coming in and out. Then we have permanent housing programs where people who are formerly homeless come and they live in a government subsidized uh, home for about a year or so. So we use it in our shelter, we use it in our housing programs, and then we have programs that are specifically focused on getting people employment. And then we have a program that's focused on self-sufficiency, which is a long-term program. That program is called Mindset. So anybody in any one of those programs is going to be matched with a coach. And then we have a whole series of after-school and summer camp programs. (laughs) And we have about a 1,000 students in those programs. Um, so we haven't figured out how to match so those uh, young people with coaches yet, but then we have a high school program where people are matched with a coach. And so it really is, um, I think, developmentally appropriate for wherever our participant is. It's relevant because, you know, even if you're with us for two months, say, at the shelter, just by, be, by, by being introduced to this process, you, you start to pick up on the skills. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, even in two months... You know, if you're coming to the shelter and you're meeting with me for, for the first time and I'm saying, okay, you know, what are some of your goals? Like, what, what do you see for yourself, like, in the next year or so? That might be the first time anyone has asked you that question. And that, yeah. just that even, that the question gets you to, like, change your frame of yeah. mind. Like, maybe I do have the power to make decisions yeah, in my yeah, own yeah, life. Yeah. Like you know you said, what I mean? it's that ownership. Yeah. Yeah. So I love, I love this bridge to self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. So you, you spoke on family stability. What does the other four are health and well-being, financial management, education and training, and employment and career. Do you mind letting me know what they all look like? So for health and well-being, what we're concerned with is we have a lot of various uh, health and wellness initiatives, but we're essentially concerned with people being able to have their health and wellness needs met. So for instance, you know, if you are sick, like you have a chronic illness, you can't actually like fulfill your goal of getting a better job because maybe you can't make it to class on yeah, time in regular time. Yeah, um, and then also it's it's focused on like networks. So what we know is, you know, networks are super duper important. Like you like you just can't survive on your own. Like you need a, a cheering section yeah. of people who think like you, who are encouraging you, who are on the same wavelength, um, and at the same time. For a lot of people who we serve who, you know, might be in that crisis mode, you need to be able to, like, leverage your network to, like, for instance, maybe have somebody watch your kids while you come to an ECS program or something like that. So with health and well-being, we're looking at, you know, people's ability to, I think, have healthy networks and leverage them and then also, like, their general, like, health and well-being. And then for financial management, we're essentially trying to increase people's financial awareness, really get them to the point where they understand the value of saving. They'll have they'll be armed against some of the traps that people fall in in terms of like predatory lending and things of that nature. And 
you know, that they, they understand like the basics in terms of like your credit score and things of that nature. Then with education and training, we're really focused on like having people increase like their educational attainment. And similarly with uh, employment and career, we're focused on living wage jobs, so connecting people to living wage jobs. So for health and well-being, financial management, education and training, and employment and career, we have staff people who are specialists in those areas. Oh, cool. And what they do is they essentially work on like group education for all of ECS participants, but then they also work with ECS participants who have specific goals in those areas. So think about like when you go to a doctor, right? Like you go to your PCP and you say, you know, I've been concerned about my nutrition and they send you to nutritionists and you guys work through like, oh, what should your eating plan be like? A participant can come to ECS and say, I'm coming to your employment program or your workforce development program, but I want to buy a house, right? And so once it gets to the point where the coach that they're matched with no longer has like the in-depth detailed skills to help them like reach that goal of buying a house, they can get referred to our housing specialist to work on that. It's amazing. So all of these mentors, are they volunteers? They're all paid staff. Okay. Wow. So how does one become a participant? You say when participants, how do you become a participant? How do you join this? Yes. So it depends what program that you come through, right? So our housing programs and our homeless shelters that's through the city of philadelphia's office of homeless services network so you're directly for referred from the city to be a part of that and then once you get in the great thing is that you can come to any other ecs program um, as far as our workforce development program the name of it is rise and it stands for resources independence success and employment uh, that program is 14 weeks and it's really focused on helping people gain or gain employment or like increase their employment or get connected to an education opportunity that will ultimately help them increase their employment. That program is free. Wow. We, have, we have some basic criteria that we need people to meet to be in the program, yeah. but essentially you could kind of like just come to an information session and say, hey, I'm interested in being that program. And then our long-term self-sufficiency program mindset, which is really cool because that program is a three to five year program where we're focused on getting people to the point where they're economically self-sufficient. We provide a savings match. They're matched with a coach. And then we do tons of like team building and trainings and things like that. That's another program where it's free, and if you're interested and you meet the criteria, you can be like, hey, I wanna be a part of Mindset. Yeah. And you can just come to ECS and learn more about it and go through the application process. And it's all free. Yes, it's all free. And you're the chief of all of this. I am. Thank you so much for your service. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do it, is what I'm called to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm assuming you live in Philadelphia? I do. So I, I saw your core values. You said them earlier. Dignity, justice, community, and impact. Yes. So do you think this is what's causing poverty in Philadelphia, the lack of these core values? <sighs> or, or what is causing poverty in Philadelphia? You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. So one of the, the, the one of the things that I can say, part of why I am passionate about working at ECS, and I've so, been so passionate about the direction that we're going in and creating mindset and um, also doing this coaching in particular is because we 
put a stake in the ground to say that we want to do something that is going to affect change. Yes. I think, generally speaking, social services, not for a, a lack of desire, has really been focused on stabilizing people and maintaining people, you know, where they are. Yeah. Um, a lot of the government funding is just set up that way. You know, and the interesting thing about how programs are established is that a lot of the research that we base, you know, our programs on that, you know, the government base, bases their policies that fund these programs on is, is based on research maybe like 10 years old, right? Okay. And so how that relates to the issue of poverty is that we have a lot of solutions, I put that in air quotes, out here that are not necessarily relevant to what the issues are, right? We're trying to serve a lot of people and make these light touches without doing what I think is really necessary and giving them opportunities for something that um, is long-term, that's really comprehensive, that will really provide them with the opportunities. And honestly, we have a lot of systems that are funded by the government that are doing that. Like, so for instance, like the school system, like the schools are like terribly underfunded you know, there's probably an opportunity, you know, to reestablish the tax code, but it's not something that we're invested in yeah. doing. So there's a lot of different factors, but I think social services in general are just not funded and, and designed in a way to go deep with people, to, to really respond to them being in poverty. You know, like we have a lot of housing programs in the city of Philadelphia and they're funding people for one year to go to an apartment, but they're not looking at, you know, people's employment, like their behavioral health, like the communities that they're in and the trauma that they're experiencing. Yeah. And it's like, you can't ignore all of those things with a year of subsidized housing and expect someone to like, all of a sudden their life to be rosy and better. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't address problems. I see in my school over the last five to six years, more of a, like an accountability issue and I feel like your programs are giving people the opportunity to be accountable right. which there aren't that many opportunities when you're in poverty to right. be accountable and I see a lot of my students are stuck in the, like the victim mentality mm -hmm. and that is like one of the most poisonous mentalities and I I'm so happy I didn't know this existed this is amazing that like this is I cannot wait to take this to my school and let my students know so they can take this to their families yeah. and yeah it's, it's unbelievable. I feel like it's so obvious, like tackle poverty, mm -hmm. it lowers crime, it mm -hmm. raises people up, it makes the city better. Why aren't, why is, is it the money put towards it in your opinion, in Philadelphia specifically? Yeah, I, I, to me that's, that's the number one thing, right? So this program that I talked about, Mindset, which is very clear over a, an extended period of time because we're putting you know our money where our mouth is, we're yeah. actually matching people's savings yeah that's you know what i mean people will be to a point where they're self-sufficient right you know what i mean by the time they finish the program they have, they'll have three months of living exp expenses uh saved but that program costs us about twenty thousand dollars a year okay so i'm in the early stages we're in the early stages of implementation with that program and we're trying to get partners to come on board you know because everybody thinks like hey like this is going to make a, a great change this is a great model for doing this work and when people hear twenty thousand dollars it's just like oh my god you know and we're in a position where we have projected to serve 145 people over the next three years you know that's a drop in a bucket for 400,000 people in the poverty in the city of philadelphia 
but when you talk to people and you say it's twenty thousand dollars, they're just like, well, you know, you could serve twenty people with twenty thousand dollars, but what is serving twenty people with twenty thousand dollars actually doing? Like that's what we're already doing, and that's yeah. not making a difference. Yeah. Um, so my experience has been funders and the government wants to look at like scale to say, okay, we help this many people, but like, how do they define help? You know what I mean? Like, we're not defining help as, like, we gave you a hoagie. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, some people need hoagies, but yeah. we're defining help as, like, helping you create an opportunity um, to do something that has the potential to change your family in the next That's, generation. And exactly. That's yeah. what I was just thinking. It's that throw the rock in the water, create the ripple right. effect. Right. Like, you can be that for your family if you go through a program like mm-hmm. this and they see that you do and you complete all of this and then they're yeah. going to follow suit they're going to see that it's possible right. and then that trauma that pain can stop with you right the next generation Absolutely. the nieces the nephews the sons Absolutely. the daughters they don't have to go through it right because it stops with you right you live in philadelphia right? i do born that? and raised nice me too high five <laughs> <laughs> so when you walk around philadelphia now since mm-hmm. we've been here our whole lives yeah what does what do you see what does it make you think and what does it make you wonder you know i see it's that's a good question just because things are so different but for a lot of communities things are the same like what i see a lot of times is communities that have been just kind of like stuck in time and like excluded from all of the positive change that has happened and one of the things i'm wondering is you know when i think about the 10-year tax abatement and i think about you know all of the changes that we're making in areas like center city or like north philly which you know is now called Northern Liberties and Fish yeah. Fish Town. Yeah. Like, yeah. how is that going to benefit the people who live here? You know, um, when does that come? Because ultimately, I think a lot of the development and like trying to bring people to come and live in the city ultimately was supposed to have a positive impact on the quality of the schools and the quality of lives, uh, the quality of the people who live here. And it's, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I don't know if it's really slow, but it's interesting because, you know, uh, part of my job when I came here was to work with youth and young adults. So people um, 14 to 23 years old. And it's just like, we would talk about things like around that time, I think Ferguson had happened. And it's like amongst my peer staff, we were talking about stuff like that. And they were just like, man, this kind of stuff happens every day where we're from. And it's just like that frame of reference to like, this is what you focus on and this is what you have to live with on a day-to-day life and just being so i don't want to say isolated but isolated from everything that's going on but how intentional is that you know what i mean not from their standpoint but from the standpoint of like all of the great things that are happening in the city of philadelphia yeah are you saying like are you intentionally hiding this from and picking the areas right. to build because I mean, this isn't here. Yeah, I mean that's that's essentially what I'm saying, yeah. and it's interesting because since ECS has decided our mission was to reduce intergenerational poverty, essentially we we have to educate people yes. on the fact that like 27 percent of the city's citizens are living in poverty, and a large portion of them live in deep poverty. And by the way, of the big cities, like we're one of the highest. Like people just don't know that like they have no idea it's just like a view of like someone who's living on the street and not understanding like the range of experiences of what poverty actually looks like and the fact that okay well the unemployment rate is low right now 
and still people working two and three jobs yeah. and still can't you know afford to like eat like they still have to go to food banks like you know like there's just not a lot of awareness of the reality of the situation and it's it's made a challenge like I think a good challenge for me in terms of like the work that I value and the work that we're doing with ECS I think once people are made aware of it like they care but a lot of people just are not aware it's just like you know Philly's this great place and it's happening and I'm living good and this is how much my house costs and like no awareness of like there were displaced people that lived here before me or or all of those things yeah yeah so when we volunteered, my students and I, we were at a cook-off mm-hmm. where we were making meals for the less fortunate that mm-hmm. were eventually going to get delivered all throughout the community. Yes. We had a lot of fun. Yes. So what does volunteering look like for ECS? If I want to volunteer for ECS, what do, can I just make meals or is there different things that I could participate in? Yep, so there's there's a variety of different um, opportunities that are like pre-established, like regular opportunities. The cook-off is one um, that happens once a month. And we do the cook-off um, at our shelter, St. Barnabas Mission, which is at 6006 West Gerard Avenue. Um, and the meals for cook-off go to, most of the time, senior citizens and then other people who um, just need assistance because they can't cook their own meals. The other regular opportunity that we have is, I mentioned our um, workforce development program called RISE. Individuals in that program are really seeking to build up like their employability skills so that in 14 weeks they can get pretty close to employment, if not reach employment by the time the program is over. So we have that program, it runs two cohorts a year, one that starts in September and one that starts in January. Regularly with that program, we ask for volunteers to do speed networking, which helps um, our participants like expand their network and practice like their networking skills and then also we ask for volunteers to do mock interviews so one of our tenets of how we do our programming is that it's really experiential Um, so that's a regular volunteer opportunity and then I did mention that we have after school programs in and summer camps in eight schools oh, cool. in Philadelphia. And so um, generally we're looking for volunteers to help like with do, do homework and things like that in the after school programs. Cool, cool. Well, I'm gonna take this time out to send you some love. Uh, <laughs> what you're doing for the city of Philadelphia is nothing short but amazing. I really admire how you are teaching the skills for self-sufficiency and you are teaching programs that a lot of people, a lot of students, at least that I've come in contact with who are going through poverty, don't learn in school. I try my best to teach a lot of what the programs like the health and well-being, the financial management, the the being there for your mental health and I feel like you're you are really tackling the things that the school system is really really unfortunately missing out on so I appreciate everything that you're doing all the hard work for the past six years you've been putting in oh thank you yeah you're kind of like my role model now oh thank you (laughs) so towards the end of the podcast we ask every guest this question, mm-hmm. okay? So take your time yep. to answer it. So if you were to go back in time, <laughs> I already got that right. okay. so if you were to go back in time and tell the teenage version of yourself three things, 
what would you tell you? A teenage version of myself. Wow. So one of the things, and I've been thinking about this recently, is I would have told myself to have fun sooner. Think on my mom's side, I might be the first one to go to college, right? And so I had a lot of pressure uh, from my family to do that. And for me, it was just like, I was a kid growing up, like, it's my job to do this. It's like, everything's so super serious. Yeah. And so as an adult, I think realizing now that you know, I was capable of doing it all along and I didn't have to put so much pressure on myself, I think would have just had me have some of the experiences that I'm having now earlier, which are awesome experiences. And I also, like I had a good childhood. So that's one of the things I would say. The other thing is like along the same lines. And it's interesting now because I look, you know, like I said, I was working with like teenagers when I first started here and I don't have as much contact with them anymore. But just to see some of the challenges that they have, and I feel like I didn't have like those same challenges when I was younger. But I think what I would tell myself is like just about self-love. Like just don't be so concerned and like put so much value, your own personal value into what other people think. Because actually like we were all struggling, you know what I mean? As adolescents, we were all developmentally like going through the same thing of, you know, am I good enough? And like, what's going to happen? And you know, now that I have had, a, you know, years to work with teenagers and understand, especially some of the kids that I've worked with in Philly, like some of the situations that they live in, like to just be kinder to yourself and like just be kinder um, to other people because you don't know what people are experiencing. And at the end of the day, like we're all going through like struggles. Once like high school is over, it's like you forget about a lot of that stuff. I'm trying to think of a third thing. Your just feels like therapy. It's <laughs> like, oh. so this is a this is an interesting one. So I got into this work because this is like the kind of work that my parents did, right? So like my my dad was like this huge activist. Interestingly enough, he we kind of like co-worked together. Now he works in a nonprofit that he started, and so I think I would have told myself to explore being my own person. I love it. Yeah. So how do how do people follow ECS? How do we volunteers or websites yeah. or social media? Yep. Yeah. So uh, our website is www.ecsphilly, or you can just say ecsphilly.org, um, and we're at ECS Philly on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I believe LinkedIn as well. Okay. Cool. Well, is there anything you wish that I asked you or you wish that we talked about? No, this was really great. You got me really thinking. Now I'm like in this reflective mode and um, it's always great to talk about what we're doing because it helps me just take a step back and get energized about it and like really see that we're we're making an impact. So thank you for um, asking me to be on. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. So this is a new segment that I want to start doing at the end of every podcast where I give my final thoughts on the podcast episode that you have just listened to. So the most startling thing that came out of this podcast for me was finding out that 27% of Philadelphia is living in almost extreme poverty. And being a teacher, I feel as though that the number one way to get rid of this poverty is education, is the mentorship that 
Arlie spoke about. When you are able to positively impact a person, give them your time, give them your energy, and show them that courage, that capacity, that will to help somebody, to help them get out of that poverty, to be that stopgap so that pain doesn't pass on to the next generation just by what you do with that one person. You can really change a family around by going out into the community, by volunteering, by going to different organizations to see what you can do. You never know what 20 minutes with an individual, what an hour, what two hours can do to help change the mindset of somebody in poverty. Take this as a call to action. If you like this final segment, please let us know. We are constantly trying to change the podcast so we can better serve our listeners. Mm-hmm.